since ours is a Trinitarian church, which means that while we believe that our God is one God, but nevertheless three persons, we open our service this morning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Your singing of the Amen means that that is also what you believe. We stand here in God's house. God is holy and you and I are sinners and therefore we think of our sins and I would invite you therefore that we turn to Christ and ask him for forgiveness remembering this as the psalmist declares that our help is in the name of the Lord. Since we have sinned against God therefore we recall also the words of the psalmist I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Lord God, we turn to you to confess our sins. We find it rather easy to admit that we were born and conceived in sin, but quite difficult to stand before you and to admit that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed. But we do so confess, asking for thy forgiving grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, confessing our sins in this prayer. O most merciful God, who hast given thine only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake grant us remission of all our sins. And by thy Holy Spirit, increase in us to knowledge of thee and of thy will, and through obedience to thy word, that by thy grace we may come to everlasting life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I stand before you as a congregation, as a sinner, even as you are also a sinner. Yet I stand in the stead of God, and because you have confessed your sins, and asked for forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare unto you the forgiveness of your sins. You at this moment stand before God as though you had never sinned. Let us remember and believe. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, O Lord, unto us all. And now we turn to the introit in our service which is a brief section of scripture which keeps us in mind as regards this season of the church year. Be thou my strong rock for in house of defense to save me. Thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. triune God, God who is glorious and who was in eternity, who is glorious now and who will also be glorious throughout all eternity. Having had our sins forgiven, we now turn to Christ and we ask for mercy with regard to the other needs in our Christian life. 
in thee and in peace let us therefore pray to the Lord. We pray, O Lord, for the peace that is from above and for the salvation of our souls. We pray, O Lord, for the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the churches of God and for the unity of all. We pray, O Lord Christ, for this holy house, and for them that in faith, piety, and fear of God offer here their worship and praise. Help, save, pity, and defend us, O God, by thy grace. Having had our sins forgiven and having received the mercy of Christ, giving us strength in the needs of our life, we now sing our song of praise to God, Glory be to God on high. not my privilege to have greeted each one of you as you came into God's house, and so in this place in the service I do so. The Lord be with you. You have therefore also greeted me and wished God's blessing to me, even as I have to you. We shall now pray the collect, a brief prayer for this season of the church year. O Lord, we beseech thee, mercifully hear our prayers, and having set us free from the bonds of sin, defend us from all evil. Through thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. In the Christian church, this Sunday is known as Quinquagesima Sunday, 
Well, that word means the numeral 50, which means that we are now about 50 days away from Easter. In the ancient Christian church, there were selected epistle lessons read at the Sunday service. This is the ancient epistle for this day, which today is being read in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches. Millions will hear this very section of Scripture, which gives you and me the thrill of seeing the unity of the kingdom of God, the real unity of the Christian church here upon earth. The ancient epistle lesson taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 13th chapter, that which we know as the love chapter of the New Testament. I may speak in tongues of men or of angels, but if I am without love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I may have the gift of prophecy and know every hidden truth. I may have faith strong enough to move mountains, but if I have no love, I am nothing. I may dole out all I possess or even give my body to be burnt, but if I have no love, I am none the better. Love is patient. Love is kind and envies no one. Love is never boastful, nor conceited, nor rude, never selfish, not quick to take offense. Love keeps no score of wrongs, does not gloat over other men's sins, but delights in the truth. There is nothing love cannot face. There is no limit to its faith, its hope, and its endurance. Love will never come to an end. Are there prophets? Their work will be over. Are there tongues of ecstasy? They will cease. Is there knowledge? It will vanish away. For our knowledge and our prophecy alike are partial, and the partial vanishes when wholeness comes. When I was a child, my speech, my outlook, and my thoughts were all childish. When I grew up, I had finished with childish things. Now we see only puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. My knowledge now is partial. Then it will be whole, like God's knowledge of me. In a word, there are three things that last forever. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of them all is love. Here endeth the ancient epistle for this Sunday. And then, the, and then the gradual, a brief section of scripture that again is in keeping with this season of the church year. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Alleluia. And so we have just sung our Alleluia's, three of them. An Alleluia, which means praise the Lord, one to God the Father, one to God the Son, and one to God the Holy Ghost. 
And the ancient gospel lesson that will be heard in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches throughout the world this Sunday is written in the 18th chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the 31st verse. We sing our glory especially to Christ because the gospel lesson brings us this Christ and all of his beauty. He took the twelve aside and said, We are now going up to Jerusalem, and all that was written by the prophets will come true for the Son of Man. He will be handed over to the foreign power. He will be mocked, maltreated, and spat upon. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. But they understood nothing of all this. They did not grasp what he was talking about. Its meaning was concealed from them. As he approached Jericho, a blind man sat at the roadside begging. Hearing a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. The people in front told him sharply to hold his tongue. But he called out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came up, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Sir, I want my sight back, he answered. Jesus said to him, Have back your sight. Your faith has cured you. He recovered his sight instantly, and he followed Jesus praising God. And all the people gave praise to God for what they had seen. Here endeth the ancient gospel of the Christian church. In the very first century of the Christian church, Christians were an oddity and people were asking them, what do you Christians believe? Heathens, those who did not know Christ, wondered what is this new faith? And so there grew up, even in the first century, a statement of what Christians believe. It was not written by the apostles, but they helped formed it, even as other Christians. It has come down in the Christian church for nearly 2,000 years. It is still the finest expression that you and I have today of telling someone else what we as Christians believe. Let us confess and speak what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. On behalf of Emmanuel Congregation, I bid a warm and Christian welcome to you, our visitors and guests. We are very happy to have you worshiping with us. We shall appreciate it as a kindness if you will take the time to sign one of the guest registries before you leave church today. 
There is always a nursery in operation during the times of our worship services as well as during the Sunday school hour. Our regular schedule begins each Sunday morning with an early service at 8 o'clock, followed by Sunday school at 9.15, this service at 10.30, and this service on the air over the Marion Station, WMRN, each Sunday at 10.45. God willing, I shall give the Bible study Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock in the library located on the first floor of our educational building. While the Bible study is primarily for the Bible study leaders of the Emanuel Lutheran Church women, nevertheless all men and women who would like to share that Bible hour, they are cordially invited to attend Tuesday at 7 o'clock. As we know, this coming Wednesday is known in the Christian Church as Ash Wednesday. It's the day that begins the Lenten season. We shall begin, therefore, our Lenten Vesper services this coming Wednesday night at 7.30. We shall celebrate Holy Communion with Pastor Basler assisting. The general theme that I shall use this year will be this, My Christ and I at the Cross. Wednesday night at 7.30, perhaps in your busy life and in mine, we can find an extra hour in the Lenten season to come to God's house and to have our Lord speak to us about his sufferings and death and our behalf. Ash Wednesday night, 7.30. One week from tomorrow night, which will be the first Monday night in March, March the 4th, God willing, I shall begin a series of lectures for adults on the Christian religion. Monday night, March the 4th at 7.30. We shall have a nursery to take care of your children. At the close of the lecture period at 9, we shall have a refreshment hour. You may say, who is invited to attend the series of adult lectures? May I say this, anyone within the sound of my voice or anybody who is not, as far as that's concerned, who would like to sit down and take a look at the Christian religion. What is the Christian faith? I assure you, you will not obligate yourself to this church. I will not ask you any questions. I will not embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. But if you wonder what the Christian religion is all about, I would like the opportunity to tell you. And I hope that you, the members of the congregation, in the world in which you move, that you have found some who do not know Christ, who do not know what the Christian faith is, and that you have already invited them to come with you the first Monday night in March at 7.30. I've asked Pastor Basler to preach the sermon at this service, even as he did at the early service this morning. Now, after an anthem by our senior choir in the Christian church, choirs sang to the glory of God, we shall unite in singing hymn number 562, The Son of God Goes Forth to War. The sermon was the high spot in the worship of the Christian church, even as it is in our church today, when God's word is brought to us through the instrumentality of one of his servants.
grace be unto you and the peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text to which I invite your attention this morning is written in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of St. Mark, beginning at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my right left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that ye they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Dearly beloved in Christ our blessed Savior, you who are here in God's house and you who are worshiping with us by way of the radio, we are standing on the threshold of another blessed Lenten season. As you've heard, next Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. And for six weeks, the Christian church throughout the world will in deep reverence and humility bow its head before the cross of Calvary. Yes, those six weeks will be a time for meditation and concentration upon the great facts of the cross. And this is fundamental. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, Without his atoning work on Calvary, there would be no faith or no hope for each any, any one of us. Yes, this is fundamental, more so than people realize. Take away the cross and you have nothing left. It is indeed a very fine custom that has come down to us through the generations of time that we link our attention upon the facts of Calvary. But they are so tremendous and so important that we ought to take some time for preparation. We ought to make plans now, today, not wait till Wednesday or a week after Wednesday, but today to study how best we can commemorate the facts of length and how we can keep Lent. 
Now the church has and will again provide special services, as we will here on Wednesday evenings, and special music, special pageantry in some churches, and films, everything to bring the story of Lent to the hearts and lives of people. Surely we ought to plan just what we want to do, whether we want to lay aside some of the things of everyday life and to fit our schedule into the Lenten season, whether we want to abstain from this or that, or whether we want to do some special kind of deed, especially reading the Passion history or saying special prayers. We ought to be planning now to do all these things. The last two Sundays, including and this one, these three Sundays preceding Lent, have been a time for preparation. The scripture lessons and the sermons and the hymns and the prayers have all been directed toward the Lent. And uh, it certainly all should have been a help to us so far in making our preparation for a Lenten season. Now today we have especially some thoughts from our Savior that should help put us in the right frame of mind. He speaks here about the cup which he must drink and the baptism with which he is to be baptized with and uh, the ministry which he is to do even unto death, give his life a ransom for many. Now these thoughts throw a flood of light upon what our Savior wants to tell his disciples in our story this morning. He wants to tell them in answer to their requests something about true greatness in his kingdom. James and John came to Jesus with the request that they be given special place or places in his kingdom. And of course, they wanted to be one on the right side and one on the left in his glory. Now Jesus first of all impresses upon them and I think it's impressive to us that the way to true greatness in his kingdom is by way of the cross and suffering. Suffering and sacrifice. That's the story. James and John came to him as the sons of Zebedee and sometimes we recall the sons of thunder. They were more or less of a vehement nature. But they weren't the only ones. Their mother came with them, according to St. Matthew. And she pled with Jesus that he might do something special for her sons. That is quite natural. A mother likes to do something for her sons and see her sons get on in life. Jesus didn't dissuade them didn't discourage them, didn't tell them to go somewhere else. But he seemed to have had an open ear. But uh, he didn't uh, say very much to begin with. He left them go. Now, there was something praiseworthy about their attitude and their request. Praiseworthy that they came to him. Didn't go somewhere else. They had ambitions in his kingdom. And we're always happy when people like to get on in the church and uh, have ambitions along that line. 
So he didn't dissuade them, didn't discourage them. But this one thing was not so nice, that they did all this behind the backs of their fellow disciples. They didn't consult anybody else, took it upon themselves to go to Jesus and try to use a little pressure there that they might find greatness in his kingdom. Now, we know that that isn't the right thing. We know that uh, Jesus, while he left it go, he was bound to direct it and write in the right direction. And uh, therefore he comes to them and says, you do not know what you're asking for. You're asking for something and you're kind of ignorant about this thing. And sure enough, they were. They didn't understand the real essence of his kingdom. They had more or less an idea that it was a worldly kingdom. And he would set up kind of a dynasty here and then he would give jobs to this one and that one right here and now. And so they didn't understand. And they didn't understand how to get the glory in that kingdom. That is the other thing. They thought he could just give it to them outright and be done with it. But no, they didn't understand that it took a little hard work and privation and that Jesus never said that the way to glory would be easy. Like some people, you know, that uh, see a man in a high position and perhaps he's gained a little wealth and honor, say, well, he's got it easy, he's got it made. But they don't realize how much work and effort and privation he's had to go through to get there. Read the lives of musicians, of artists, the inventors of uh, any of the great. And you will discover that they've had to do a lot of hard work and it isn't all easy. And so Jesus wanted them to understand that they didn't know what they were doing. Yes, his way to true greatness is a way of sacrifice and even suffering. On one occasion, a young man came to him and he said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. But Jesus turned to him and said, not discouraging him, but he turned to him and he said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where it lay his head. If you want to follow me and want to come into my kingdom and be great in that kingdom, you have to make up your mind to sacrifice. Now, here's a little prayer, my friends, that we ought to take note of. You do not know very often, and I do not know, what we're praying for, especially along material lines. Sometimes we want things that aren't good for us. Sometimes we want almost the unreasonable. And we ought to be very careful, and we ought always to submit our petitions to our Heavenly Father and say, Not my will but thy will be done. And so now Jesus comes to them and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you how hard it is for me and what I have to go through and how much you will have to go through to become great in my kingdom. And uh, Jesus knew what he was talking about. For he was facing the trials and tribulations of Jerusalem 
in the near future. He was on his way to the cross. Yes, he saw the cup, the cup in Gethsemane, put to his very lips at his Father's will. And he had to drink that cup to its very dregs. He saw the cup was handed to him again when the band of evil people or men took him. And he said, Must I not drink the cup that my Father has given me to drink? Then when they pressed upon his brow that crown of thorns, how the blood drops trickled down. And when they pierced his hands and his feet with nails and nailed him to the cross and his side with a spear, there was blood. So he said, Not only must I drink this cup, but I shall be baptized with a baptism, a baptism of blood. And that, my dear friends, is what our Savior went through. Now the disciples didn't understand, and many people today don't understand, the value and the worth of all that he did. And therefore he said to his disciples, Will you be able to do that? And they answered, We can. They didn't understand that they were outreaching themselves and that they were doing the impossible so far as their strength was concerned. We can. Oh, how many people right off the reel will say, We can. But we can't always. And we understand how this worked out in the case of when Jesus was taken. His disciples fled. There wasn't a one around. They couldn't take it. But then after the Spirit got a hold of them, and after the day of Pentecost, we know, eleven years after this incident here, James was beheaded by Herod Agrippa I, and John was, was ex exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he reached a ripe old age, and yet died complaining that he was a companion with the tribulations of his Savior. And all the others that Jesus prophesied had to give up their lives, and they did. But that was necessary. They had to give up their lives, finally, as a sacrifice and in suffering to win the crown through him and under him. And yet their question was not answered. Their request was not granted immediately. Jesus said that it was not time now to give them what they desired. There was no thing like a partiality in his kingdom. He couldn't give them a special place now and disregard the others. Yet, after all, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ does not leave his disciples in ignorance. He doesn't leave us in ignorance or anybody else. He says, Whosoever believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And we know that there are special positions in heaven. We know that there will be a difference there. The mystery will not be in God, but will be in man. There will be a difference because there will be a different capacity on the part of each and every one. And we know that Daniel already prophesied 
that the wise shall shine as a brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And Jesus said to his disciples, Ye are they which have continued with me through my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me, that ye may eat at my table, and drink at my table, and may sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see, there was a difference made according to the capacity, and that, my friends, will be true for you, you and me. We will not perhaps be able to say, after we get to heaven, as glorious as even the entrance will be, that we may have as great a mansion as John or Peter or somebody else that has developed a greater capacity in this life. We know that in our Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, he would have told us. But now we go on here with our story this morning. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that the way to glory and to greatness in his kingdom is by way of the cross. Yes, by way of the cross. And Jesus went that way. His disciples will have to go that way. You and I will have to go that way. And yet we know that this life is full of many blessings and joys that may not be considered in the cup of sorrow. One of our pioneer ministers, I read about him some time ago, who had many trials and tribulations, said for every joy, for every sorrow that he had, he had a hundred joys. Well, with the psalmist we can also say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And yet, we will have to reckon with the cross, with suffering. For through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. Have you made up your mind, have I perhaps, that if we want any degree of greatness in the kingdom of Christ, here on earth already or hereafter in heaven, we must go by way of the cross, his cross, and then bearing ours after him. But now there's a second thought here this morning in the light of the second section of this text, and that is the way to true greatness in Christ's kingdom is by way of service. Here they were, the disciples, the ten by themselves and two by themselves, and they got into a terrible argument. The ten said, this is terrible. We are filled with indignation. We are displeased with the request that John, James and John made. Yes, we are not satisfied. They have overstepped their rights. They have disregarded us, and we want our rights too. If they are going to have special positions in the kingdom of Christ, we also want ours. Well, there was a wrong spirit prevalent 
Yes, a terrible spirit. An ugly head had raised itself, the head of envy and jealousy and quarrelsomeness, and that is always terrible among Christ's disciples. It is terrible in the church today. We know that there are those who try to take advantage of others. We know that there are those who are always offended, too, when they don't seem to get what they want. So that's to be expected. But it's a terrible situation. So Jesus called them to his side, and they must have been somewhere else at 10. But he said to them, this isn't the way it is in my kingdom. You want greatness. You want to be great. But this is not the way. That's the way the Gentiles do. That's the way the world does. It rules harshly over others. And uh, it's always trying to take advantage of somebody else. And he knew what he was talking about because the Jews were chafing under the tyrannical rule of the Romans at that time. And that's the way of the world. To domineer, to be tyrannical, to rob others of their rights and of their freedom. We have the same situation today. That's why we have war. We're trying to stave off some of these powers that would take advantage of us and rule over us ruthlessly. It's not those thus in God's kingdom. So it is, is it not in my kingdom, says Jesus. But he that will be great among you must be your minister, and he that is chiefest must be servant of all. Now that word minister is certainly a beautiful word. It simply means servant. One who serves, that's what we call our pastors, that's what we call our pastor here. He's our servant, and he's glad to be our servant. There isn't a higher position in all the world than to be a real, good, true servant. And you do not lose your dignity. You do not lose your honor. You do not lose your authority. The people to whom we look today are the ones who are ready to serve. Any man in our nation or any woman who isn't willing to be a servant to serve their fellow men, they might as well abdicate. We don't want them. We want real service. Well, that's what the Lord wants. And that's what you must have in the kingdom of Christ if you want to become great. And he himself said, I put myself up as a model even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Oh, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of all. And he did not lose his dignity. He did not lose his authority. Even his enemies had to declare that no man ever spake as did Jesus. And with authority, he moved the hearts and the minds and lives of men everywhere. He opened the eyes of the blind. He caused the lame to walk. And he drove devils out of the lives of people. All by love, not by any coercion or external force. By love, 
and service. And now the greatest of all those services that he rendered was that he gave his life a ransom for all. For even so the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for all. That was the highest service that Jesus rendered, giving his life that you and I and all mankind might be saved, that we might have the forgiveness of all our sins, be reconciled with a righteous God, and be on the way to eternal life. Ransom, he paid the price. As Luther put it in his second article, purchased and won me, with, not with silver or gold, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent sufferings and death, that I might be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. And even as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity, Yes, Jesus Christ became the greatest of all servants and the greatest in all heaven and earth beneath because and through his sufferings and his service even unto death. Whatever else Jesus did might make him great. The greatest teacher the world has ever seen, the greatest benefactor, the greatest miracle worker, but these all fade into insignificance in comparison with what he did as our Savior on the cross. Oh, yes, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and therefore God hath highly exalted him and hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And St. John heard the angels sing. They shouted, Worthy is the Lamb that is slain to receive honor and glory and power and wisdom and strength and blessings and the whole earth bows in reverence to this King of Kings, the greatest, because he was the greatest servant. Who follows in his train? Does John and James want to become great in his kingdom? Do you, do I, does anybody today want to become great? Then we've got to make up our minds to do two things. First, sacrifice and suffer, and second, to serve. And so, my friends, may this message prepare us for a worthy commemoration of the Lenten season, and may we go on laboring, spend and be spent, thy joy to do the Father's will. It is the way the Master went, should not the servant tread it still. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It was King David who said he never liked to appear before the Lord empty-handed. And so in our church we worship our God also with our gifts, the material things that we have, thus showing that we recognize God as the giver of every good and perfect gift which we possess. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Our total attendance this morning, 1,027. There were 421 at the first service, 606 at this service. 1027 for the morning.
Let us arise. Jesus Christ, knowing that in Jesus our offering is acceptable. And then we join in an offertory, which is a prayer that we sing, having heard the word of God, asking God to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit, even as David prayed in the 51st Psalm. Heavenly Father, we give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. our mercy and truth to such as keep thy covenant and thy testimonies. Let thy peace, like the gentle dew from heaven, fall upon all who have come this day into thy house to offer unto thee the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. For thy name's sake pardon our iniquity. Remember not the sins of our youth nor our transgressions, but in thy great mercy look upon our desolation, the sharpness of our afflictions, and the reproach our sins have earned, and forgive us. Restore our souls, lead us in thy truth, teach us thy way, show us thy paths, make thy face to shine upon us, and be gracious unto us, and bring us out of all of our distresses. O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whom we live and move and have our being, bless this day to our growth in grace. Bless this house that it may be continually a place where thine honor dwells. Thy name is praised and thy truth is proclaimed. Bless our homes that they may be rooted and grounded in love and every good work. Help all those among us who may be enduring in the affliction, trial, or adversity, and reveal the exceeding greatness of thy power to all who believe. Lord God, we come to thy throne of grace, praying that nuclear war shall not come into this world, which thou didst create, and of which thou didst say that, behold, it is very good. Control this power among nations, Lord God, and oh, somehow, some way, in thy will, Lord God, do thou bring an end to the war that plagues mankind this day. Watch over our children, our sons and our daughters in the dangerous and the strategic places in this world. Keep them in Christ Jesus. Grant them that peace which the world cannot give and the assurance of eternal life in him. And grant us, Lord God, that as we go forth from thy sanctuary, 
that we may strive for greatness as thou wouldst have us to be great, that we may dedicate our lives in love to the service of one another. O oh, to love all men, Lord Jesus, and that in our lives men may see thee and learn to glorify thee as their Christ and their Lord. Then, Lord Jesus, our lives have not been lived in vain. We ask it in thy name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We have just with the Christian church on earth joined in our prayer to our God, knowing that God always hears and that God always answers. And then we prayed that prayer which our Lord, when he was here on earth, has taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now we shall turn and sing our praise to our God, hymn 537, O Master, let me walk with thee.
the benediction of the Lord. Moses and Aaron lived 1,500 years before Christ. That means about 3,500 years ago. In that day, God said to Aaron, Aaron, when you bless the people, you say these words. We know it as the benediction. It's the oldest part of the Christian worship service, 3,500 years old. And we still use the ironic benediction when God says, Aaron, this is the way you bless the people. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.